0: And welcome inside to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. Today we have the head athletic trainer and director of rehabilitation for the Utah Jazz. We have Jamal Court. Jamal, welcome in.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Um, Kind of give people a little bit of background about who you are, kind of what got you into PT in the first place and where you came from.
1: Yeah, so... I mean, the the, the uh, journey pretty much all started for me back when I went to school in Buffalo. Uh, I actually started off as a uh, nursing major in my undergrad. Uh, I went to Damon College up in Buffalo, New York. Um, maybe a semester in, I decided that wasn't for me. I really did it most, or, more so, because my mother wanted me to do nursing. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you know anybody from the Caribbean, but a lot of Caribbean parents they they like they really push for you know nursing for whatever reason. They just think that that's the best route to go you know and it made sense as far as uh, having stability and you know a, a good you know a, a quality income and kind of having you know just kind of having that kind of thing to kind of ride off throughout the rest of your life but you know it just wasn't fitting for me um at the time I, I went undecided and um my school had just started their athletic training program and you know it kind of made sense to me at the time you know I, I enjoyed sports I still wanted to do healthcare in some capacity and you know in my mind it just kind of clicked it kind of made sense to me so I went through that entire program um got a bunch of chances to kind of be around you know I think I've done every sport probably as a student you know as like an intern every sport aside from like maybe curling or or in in golf (laughs) like you know I've, I've been around a ton of sports unfortunately um and it was after i so um while i as a student i applied for a pfat scholarship with with the nfl that's the professional football athletic training society scholarship and um that granted me an opportunity not only to you know get some you know financial help but they um i was i was able to get a chance to go work training camp with an nfl team and that was kind of like my first exposure to dual credentials physical therapist athletic trainers and then after I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, like, this is like, this is awesome. Like, you know, like kind of seeing what they can do, you know, with their manual skills and their evaluation skills and, you know, their ideas when it came to like rehab and different injuries. I thought that was probably like the best thing I've ever seen. So it was after that that I was like, OK, I know I want to go back to school for PT. Um, but, you know, a bunch of things came up in, in, you know, kind of in between. I did an internship at Bethune-Cookman down in Daytona Beach, Florida. So that kind of took a year away from like my plan of going back to PT school. Um, right after I finished with Bethune-Cookman, I got another internship with the New York Knicks, um, which actually kind of worked out, even though it took away from me being able to uh, to uh, start PT school right away. I, you know, I was able to meet someone that actually went to the school that I ended up going to, um, um, Dr. Irwin Valencia. He's with the New York Knicks. And you know, I learned a lot from him manure your therapy wise. And he, you know, he pretty, he, it didn't take much convincing. Um, he went to the university of St. Augustine for health sciences. I applied there it was the only school I got into. I was like, Hey, I'm going to apply to one school. If I get in, uh, you know, it's meant to be, if not, then, you know, I'll figure it out from there. But I got in, made it through the curriculum. And, uh, right, right after I was finished, with school at the sort of pc clinic that i worked in for my last clinical rotation they hired me full time and you know nothing was really happening in the realm of sports you know like i, I still had a good amount of connections that i kind of that i kind of kept throughout the years and you know nothing you know everything with everything with sports and pro sports is with timing and nothing was really clicking maybe two months into the job i got a call from one of my old mentors that worked with uh that i worked for with the vikings um, he basically was like, Hey, like we need some help during training camp. I mean, not training camp, during, uh, Las Vegas summer league. And, you know, I was like, all right, you know, that's, that's enticing. That's what I want to do. You know, like when, would I need to come out there, he was like, well, tomorrow. So I had to, <laughs> so I think I had maybe like, he, he basically was like, Hey, like, you know, think about it, you know, but let me know as soon as you can. Like we want to get you out here, like quick so I, I had maybe two hours three hours to think about it uh, I called my boss at the clinic I said hey you know I don't think I'm gonna come in tomorrow he's like okay you know whatever and he's like and I was like actually I'm probably not gonna come back anymore <laughs> <laughs> I, I you know and I, and I and you know he knew I wanted to be in pro sports so it helped that I did an internship with them before they hired me because he he kind of knew what my goals were and once I told him what the deal was he was like super super supportive he's like hey man like if this is your one opportunity to, you know, potentially make it to where you want to go, then I'm not going to be the one that's going to give you any headache. I'm going to support you, go after it, and just kind of make the best of it. And, and it kind of took off from there for me.
0: Right. So I kind of want to talk about your time, those different stops that you mentioned, you know, with the Vikings, with Bethune-Cookman, um, and then with the Knicks. Um, so those were at different points in your your career, like yeah. you said, during your athletic training time before PT school, and then, and then eventually with the Timberwolves. You know, kind of after you graduated PT school, tell um, us a little bit. You know, something that you learned from each of those different experiences and how it helped you. Um, you know, in your journey to kind of get to where you are now.
1: Yeah. So. So from so so having that first exposure to because so I so I done football before at the college level, and you know I'm, I, in my mind I'm thinking it's going to be relatively similar, which in a lot of aspects it was, um, but. But the biggest thing that I learned working with professional football is that's going to be the the most physically demanding job that you'll probably ever have in your entire life. And a lot of people don't think that, you know, thinking, okay, I'm going to ask for the train. I'm a physical therapist in the NFL. Um, You know, and and even my friends now, like, they don't see that I'm working seven days a week. They don't see that I'm working, you know, eight, nine, ten hours a day sometimes. All they see is the final product, which is, like, the game on TV. Um, So kind of going through training camp, like the first year so i actually did it twice i don't i don't even know what uh convinced me to go back a second time but <laughs> like the first year was like it was like a shock because how much like manual labor there is involved in just training camp like transporting so i when i was with the vikings we so our training camp was in wasn't on in, uh, mankato minnesota which is right outside of minneapolis maybe i think it's an hour or two away from the city and so we had to basically pack up the entire training room all of our medical supplies all the gatorade all Everything that we could possibly need for training camp, and load up the trucks, drive all the trucks, all the all the equipment, all the modalities down, and and um and reset up at at the facilities out there in in uh, Minnesota. So like that was like the that was like the like the shock component of it. Not really knowing that oh wow like this is like this is for real like this <laughs> when it comes to you know I'm thinking I'm just gonna go help out with treatments, you know, hand out water bottles, not realizing that I'm going to be like chugging a a big water boy cooler on my hip, you know, between three different football fields. Because that summer I had the, so each intern is broken up by position. So my first summer I had, I had, I had the DBs and safety. So it was like, I don't know how many guys we had, maybe 12, maybe. But they're like constantly going to different fields, whereas some positions, like the running backs, running backs to stay on one field. So like they're an easy position to have. The O-line, they're on one field the whole time. I had I had these guys and we're going back and forth between two and three fields. (laughs) And I'm just like drenched in sweat by the end of work, super tired. But the thing, the biggest thing outside of out of realizing what the actual work was like, but I got a ton of reps with rehab. So because because there are so many players there like every single day you're going to at least see about as, as one person, you're going to at least see eight to 10 people, you know, from whether it's like something as simple as stretching a guy after practice or before practice, or if somebody's doing rehab and you're lucky enough to be involved in that we get a ton, a ton of reps with that ton of reps with taping, just ton of reps of everything that you would need to be successful while working with athletes on the athletic training side. And then from the physical therapy side, that's where, like, the, the repetitions with modalities and rehab kind of came into play. Um, then going from there to down to Daytona Beach, Florida to work out with Thune Cookman. Um, another internship, but I was, the, I, was the, I was the main athletic trainer for men's basketball. So, so like, my responsibilities went from here to, like, kind of up here. Even still being an intern, the athletic trainer working with women's basketball, she kind of oversaw me. But, you know, just a lot of um, responsibilities in terms of, like, logistics. That was the first time, like, I had to really take the time to communicate with, like, the athletic directors and the head coaches and kind of everybody. That was, like, my first exposure into, like, understanding that when you're working with sports, there's so much more than to just treating. Like, there's a lot of politics. There's a lot of things that you got to kind of know how to navigate, one of them being communication, not only within your own staff and with your players, but we're also with all these associated parties that have influence on what's going on with your team. And then going with the Knicks, that was kind of like the icing on the cake for me to kind of get me to go back to PT school, you know, being introduced to Valencia. He has really great hands. He's he's a really good manual therapist. And like, when I saw that, I said, okay, that's what I want to be good at. That's what I want to specialize in. And it just so happened that the school he went to um, specialized in manual therapy. So I said, all right, this is like this is like a sign from the heavens to just, all right, this, I think this is what I need to do. This is where I need to go. And this is where I need to get my education. And it, it just worked out to where I was able to get in and kind of go through their program.
0: Gotcha. Do you think your time with the, with the Knicks helps you prepare for your current role?
1: Yeah. Just, especially from a standpoint of, you know, just kind of being comfortable around, you know, again, having another exposure to be around professional athletes. I think, um, it it can be intimidating, like your first time, because my first time in the NFL, you know, it's it. it was a bit intimidating, but but then once you've been around it enough, it it doesn't get in the way of you being able to do your job. And, and intimidating, not in the sense of you know being starstruck that oh that you're around these pro sports, but it's just like intimidating in the sense of you don't want to mess up because these guys are making, you know, they're getting paid to do this different from college. I mean, now they are getting paid to college, but different, you know, more so different from college that these are these guys' livelihoods. These, this is how these guys provide to their families. And, and like, you know, some guys are, are good to where like, they're good enough. They don't have to work like, like they have big enough contracts to where they're not worrying about, you know, getting signed. But during training camp, it's like, you know, it, it it can sometimes be a doggy dog world, and these guys are really trying to get paid. So it's a lot of pressure, and it's intimidating the first time around to where you don't want to mess up ever because they're depending on you. Um, but kind of going through that, then having this second exposure with the Knicks, I got comfortable being in that environment, being in that high stress environment, to where I can to the point where I was able to just, was able to provide to them what they needed without any without worrying about anything because I because now I'm kind of comfortable around. It you know, these players, I'm, I'm comfortable in the setting. I'm comfortable being around head coaches, GMs, whoever else outside of medical to where I can do my job effectively to give these guys what they need.
0: Right. So now that you've become comfortable with, you know, after your time in PT school and after all these experiences, you got comfortable with all these different aspects of the job. Um, kind of tell us a little bit more about your, um, I guess, how your journey to get to the Utah Jazz and kind of a little bit more about what your role is.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of touched on it a bit, um, just kind of how, you know, starting off. It, it, it really it really took off when I started with the Vikings. And just really, I think the biggest thing was building those connections because it was those connections that eventually helped me. Um, just just because of how my mentor with the Vikings, one of the guys that I worked under that was a dual credential, uh, DPT ATC, he ended up working for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And that was a team that asked me to go work for Summer League so because i already had that connection i you know luckily i you know you know i think i did a good enough job when i was with the vikings that he trusted me to even ask me to come out there and work with them um and you know and and it, and essentially like that was what got me into summer league and that was what got me around all these other teams and then even behind the scenes with that um, I, t- You know, I speak to students a lot and, you know, they ask me, what is it that I did, you know, to kind of get attention from these teams? And I tell people I m- I made hard copies of my resume and cover letter, you know, did the research to find out, you know, the team's addresses, who whoever the head person is. And I sent the hard copies to every single N- NBA team, and NFL team, three different times. And between three times, I think I may have heard back from a total of maybe five or six teams maybe one from the nfl and then like the the other four were like four or five were from the nba and you know luckily um i was able to see a few people so like i heard back from like the pelicans i heard back from what was it think might have been the warriors the celtics and a few other teams a lot of teams didn't have internships at the time when i when i applied, but i heard back from maybe a handful of teams and you know Sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes all it takes is one team that you know get to reach out to you or show interest, and, and you just kind of got to hope that the timing is right. And from there, the timing being right, now it's a matter of okay, you're here, your foot's in the door. Now you got to prove your worth. You got to make them want to keep you. And you know, I, I, I like I said, I think uh, I think I did a pretty, pretty decent job at that, um, to where I was able to move up, um, you know, at, at, a, at a decent rate, faster than what I ever would have thought um for me that the m in the nba i think i had like a five to eight year plan to where you know i, I can be a head athletic trainer or i can be a director and it happened in and both happened in about three years for me so like gotcha. so it, it came really fast um I, I like a lot of things i'm still learning even now i'm still learning i, ha- I have a lot of new roles now and you know, luckily I have I have some good coworkers around me that have been around for a while, and they're helping me kind of along the way, and I'm helping them vice versa. But everything everything happens quick, and I was told that by my mentor with the Vikings. He said it happens fast. Um, I didn't believe him until it happened to me, and then you're like, okay, like how do I kind of stay on my two feet while everything is kind of being thrown at you left and right? And a lot of times, things that you've never had experience doing, but you you know, but you got to kind of figure it out.
0: Right. So kind of tell us a little bit more about those new roles that you have. Kind of what does your like job entail? Because I know every organization, you know, might have director of rehab, rehab coordinator, you know, but each each one has like a little bit different uh, nuances. So what's involved in your job? Yeah.
1: So so logistically, from from that standpoint, um, I kind of got grandfathered into it a little bit. Not grandfathered in, but I say I kind of took over when I first got promoted as the rehab coordinator for the Jazz um I took over all of like the packing and the ordering for like road trips so um so we have like we have like a big trunk that we travel with that our equipment guy hates he hates that we have to bring this everywhere but it's like it's a big football trunk um we have a bag like a one of those like big like like travel bags for all of our like sleeves and braces and paddings and things like that um we travel with like two game readies uh Every player has a Normatech that we travel with, um, that we put in like into like a recovery bag for the players. Uh, what else? We we travel with like four or five different modalities in addition to our six to eight uh, treatment tables. Well, pr- probably usually closer to six tables. So, so I'm so one of my big responsibilities are making sure before every road trip that that our sleeve bag is fully stocked and packed with everything we might need. Um, that the trunk is fully is fully stocked, so so we'll keep first aid supplies in there, medications, contact lenses for the players, um, just a bunch of like every drawer is labeled with something different. So it's my job to kind of make sure that everything is always stocked and packed every single road trip and also making sure that we have inventory of all those things at both our practice facility and at our, our arena where we play games so i i I pretty much take care of ordering every single thing that goes on on the medical side in addition i um i get the i don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate but i get to like to like test drive every single like new modality that we might be interested in sometimes it's pretty cool to kind of get a first hand look of you know some of these things that you and we don't have to pay for for like these trial periods Like we will get to use them, play with them some companies are like really strict like we'll have it for like two weeks other companies i've had some modalities for like six months and you know and they're not even like you know like they could care less as long as we eventually buy it sometimes we do sometimes we don't um so like on the on the logistics side that's what i do um day to day you know i pretty much like everybody in the staff we're all out for the trainers so so when guys come in you know just it's just like we do like just like um reassessments reevaluations kind of typically on everybody just kind of see where guys are at in terms of like um flexibility mobility we kind of treat as we see um i take a bigger role in the day-to-day whenever we have anybody that's post-op or long-term rehab so anybody that's going to miss a significant amount of time playing that's when i kind of take more of a uh Kind of take over and kind of be the leader in the sense of creating all those long term uh, rehab plans and programs for those guys. Um, and then during like game nights, I um, I hold the I, I hold the first seat on the bench next to the first assistant coach and the head coach. So primarily, like my my job is you know for, for kind of that uh, first first aid, acute care kind of things that happens during games. So if a guy goes down on the court during the game. I'm you know, I'm gonna be the first one out there. Um, you know, if, if it's a timeout and a guy's bleeding, like or even if it's during the game and the guy's bleeding, I gotta clean that up, get the blood out, so he can get back in there. If a guy loses his contacts, I have all the all the backup contacts with me on that on that front bench. Um and as as of last year, my our security guard said, Hey, if a fight breaks out, you know, like you're the closest one to the court. So so now if a fight <laughs> breaks out, I gotta be the first one out there. I mean, it don't have to be, but you know <laughs> It, it it helps them out if something happens to have an extra set of hands to kind of break the guys up um not that they would ever actually fight but you know just to kind of ha- you know have like the extra added uh kind of you know kind of kind of that security to help the security um yeah so like I also like those are like the 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 main things and then like we have you know other things where we like communicate with like doctors and surgeons and gms and owners and all that's on a case by case basis it doesn't happen a ton but there's always constant communication to kind of close up the circle because, in you know, in pro sports, we, you know, we we do have to keep those, those other parties involved and everything, especially if they ask. Sometimes they, they don't ask. They just <laughs> said, hey, you know, you guys are the medical. You take care of it. You know, we don't care. But most of the times they do care because these guys are assets. Um, yeah, they're people, but they're also getting paid a lot of money and they want to make sure that, you know, they're good. And if they're not good, what can they do to support us so that they are good?
0: Right. So I kind of want to touch on that a little bit. You know, most people, you know, if you're working like outpatient orthopedics, you have a good understanding of how to communicate with caregivers, how to communicate with the patients about their conditions, or even like how to communicate with their doctors about kind of what's going on in the rehab process. But one aspect that most people don't have unless they're working in professional sports is talking with, you know, coaches and then higher level management. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of have to change your, I guess, your – your voice or your, the way you're speaking when you're talking with people that might not have medical knowledge, but like you said, have a huge stake in to the people that they're, that you're caring for.
1: You know what? It's funny that you say that, like, you'd be surprised. So if you have somebody newer, maybe, I mean, even then, like, like a lot of these folks, like our GMs in the front office, guys and the owners, like they've been around so much and they've heard a lot of the same things so much that you can actually just like talk to them, you know? You know as is, like you know, as you would talk to one of your colleagues, you know, you don't necessarily have to, you know, kind of change how you speak, or you know, I mean, sometimes you do in terms of when it comes to explaining it, but like, I mean, you can typically say it as it is, you know, when it comes to front office and in the coaches and things because they because a lot of them have been around so much that they've heard and seen a lot of the things, even the players too. Like, they'll, I, you know, have a player that you know that says when well, he after he retires, he's going to be an athletic trainer because you know, a lot of times we're talking. You know, like, you know, like he's like throwing out vocabulary words at us and he, you know, you know, you know, trying to teach us, you know, but, you know, (laughs) but like these guys, I understand the the vocabulary they understand these things because like they've seen it so much. So, so like, there's not a lot of ton of that, that I've had to do so far every now and again, like if you have like a younger player, you might have to, but, um, when it comes to like management and ownership or front office, like they, like they get it, they get it for sure.
0: Right. Um, so you've had long journey in sports rehab, you know, from your athletic training and in, 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 into PT school. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been around a lot of great clinicians. So what are some aspects or some characteristics that make a good sports PT
1: to you? Um, I think, I think the biggest thing is like, I'm probably going to get backlash for this, but I did a lot of PTs and I noticed it a lot when I was going through PT school and like PTs can sometimes be the biggest know-it-alls when it comes to like, you know, diagnoses and treatment and you know everybody thinks that their idea is the best thing you know under the sun and 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 i think i think i think one of the things that's super helpful for anybody that's anywhere i think you know not even just pro sports but just like being open and willing to like first and foremost listen to and understand what the needs and the goals of your patient is so in my case what the athletes are so you know you know so not so not being in, this, in, a, in, a, in a situation where you like, yeah, like you'll have more clinical knowledge than the player, but nobody knows their body better th- than them. You know, so it becomes super, super important to listen to, the, to what they're telling you and use that to kind of help build the foundation of what you're going to do for that rehab plan. You know, like, I, like I, I think that's I think that's probably like the biggest thing. And I think that'll set you up for the most success down the line. Um, and also not only that, now that player has trust in you to where, okay, he's listening to me. If something comes up and I tell him, I know that I can, I, I feel comfortable going to him to say, Hey, X, Y, and Z happened. You know, can we adjust what we're doing or, you know, can we try something else? Cause I don't feel like this is working. They'll feel comfortable because a lot of times you know, you know, athletes will think, okay, they know better. So even if something isn't working for me, I'm just going to keep doing it over and over again because they know better and I don't want to go against that. So having that, building that relationship with with, with your athletes is super, super important. Um, another thing is like not having tunnel vision when it comes to like, you know, when it comes to like diagnosis and treatment, a lot of times, like some of these injuries, we see them over and over again, the ankle sprains, you know, like the finger, like the finger jams, the contusions, things like that, concussions, and it's like because we have like that that history and that kind of like that kind of database in the back of our head of injuries and how they present and you know how to treat them, it's easy to get lost and missing things because you're like, okay, I've seen that before. It looks just like this. And so I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z. And and usually you you'll probably be okay doing it that way. But I think by by doing doing it that way all the time you are setting yourself up to potentially miss something that might be bigger, you know, and you might miss something that might be more important than what you think you're treating, you know, as opposed to what you should be treating. You know what I mean? Um, and then like, you know, and then I think, and I think one thing I get asked a lot from, from people is, um, well, what other the credentials should I get? Should I get dry needling? Should I, you know, know how to do cupping? Should I know how to do this, that, and the third? And it's like, all those things are great. You know, all those are good adjuncts. I think I like to say uh, every every clinician has a gimmick. You know, like you know, like to get people to buy into what they're doing. And you know, I'm um my me myself I'm a dry needling certified. Um, I use it a decent amount. Uh, but I think what it comes down to is it everything doesn't have to be like sexy. Like you don't have to try to make everything sexy. You don't have to try to you know do the most outlandish off the wall thing just to meet the same goal that you would meet if you did it a a simpler way you know like like what they say uh kiss keep it simple stupid like 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 I, I I always look at it from the black and white standpoint of okay what are this person's impairments what can I do to address those impairments and I keep it as simple as that like I don't like I don't like to make my my own head hurt I don't try to overcomplicate it I don't try to overthink it I literally look at every case okay what is their impairment what can I use to treat this? And I and if there's something else that I can throw at it, you know, if something isn't working, then I'm going to try to throw one or two different things at it. I might try a different avenue. I might ask one of my colleagues, you know, what they think, you know, that might work. But other than that, I literally, I look at every single body. What, is it, what, is it, what are the impairments? What can I use to treat it? And then I kind of use it and I, and I let that guide me every single time.
0: Right. Um, so that was actually, that's actually a really good answer. Um, I liked your point about, you know, how, We can't like get a tunnel vision because, Mm. you know, we see lots, so many patients and a lot of times they do present very similarly, but you always have to kind of keep your eye out because there could be that one that presents similarly enough, but it's just, it'll, it's just off enough that it's something completely different. And so it's, you know, it's easy to fall into those traps. So that's a really good point. Um, I want to talk a little bit about mentors. Um, So you obviously have had really good mentors um, and had really strong relationships to the point where they remembered you a couple of years later, yeah. and when an opportunity ar- ar- arose, um, they kind of had you in mind. So, what do you wh- when you're looking for a mentor, and you're trying to you know create that that relationship with them? What are some things that you look for in a mentor, and then how do you kind of make sure that you maintain that relationship?
1: So, I've been I've been lucky enough to where all my mentors, I was able to develop personal relationships with them. You know so and and whether that's their personality whether that's uh, doing my personality or the combination of both um i was i was able to get comfortable enough to where like you know like they trusted me with you know with, with whatever with, with anything basically but i think what i would look for is i think the biggest thing that i look for in a mentor is someone that isn't just going to give me the answer every single time like like one of the first lessons I got as an athletic training student, like, this might have been my first or second, like, rotation out of, like, out of the classroom. And and my preceptor at the time, my clinical instructor, or like, whatever they're called now. But I asked him a question, and he looked at me. He's like, look it up. Like, I'm not going to tell you. Like, look it up. And, and, you know, he said he said, look it up and then come tomorrow with the answer. And from 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 me having to go home and do my own homework and then me not wanting to you know look stupid in front of my ci i went home and i looked it up and i never forgot that thing he made me look up so so it so you know it's it's helpful you know especially with like younger students to kind of you know kind of throw them a bone every now and again and you know just kind of tell them what's going on but I think one of the big things my mentors did for me is they kind of forced me to take responsibility for my own learning and for my own education and my own knowledge. And and that forced me to – now I'm like, all right, I don't even want to ask some questions anymore because all he's going to tell me is to go is look it up myself. Um, but in the end, I think that was more beneficial to me to where, he, okay, I asked a question. He told me to look it up. Now I have the answer. Now we're having a discussion about it so now so so now i learned it on my own but he didn't just leave me out there to kind of hang and dry with the information he would talk to me about it and help me apply it to like real life cases to where okay now it's clicking in my head because because he's because he's applying it to something that's either happened already something that's you know currently happening or something that i might see down the line um another thing is is uh it's is, is probably somebody you know like that you can trust i would say you know just you have a mentor like you are going to develop personal relationships with with these people like you're going to learn about their families you're going to learn about their dog their kids like whatever the case may be and you know you want to be in a space to where you can it's somebody that you can trust enough to where you know if something personal comes up that is related or unrelated to work and you just need some advice you need like somebody to just help you you know, you want it to be somebody that you feel like you can trust with that information. Um, and it just, it, it just kind of makes it easier for you and I, for you down the line. And, and this is probably going to be the, the third point I'm going to make for, you know, so having that trust with that, with that person, because, because for me, now, now that I've developed the trust with these guys, um, like they've taught me everything that they know, everything that, you know, that they felt like I needed at the time. Now I'm comfortable enough, even after I'm done with my internship, two months down the line, six months down the line, a year down the line, three years down the line, I can still send them a text message, be like, hey, how are you doing? How's the family? Hey, I have a question. Like, that was how I kept in touch with all of my, uh, all of my mentors. Like, even if it's like once every three months or i be like, hey, happy birthday, happy holidays. Like, you know, just kind of like, it's one of those things where it's like, if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. You know so i made sure that like even if it was something that, so let's say if, if it was a clinical question even if i knew the answer i would just you know just, just kind of just, you know just shoot him a text message just so that he you know he like not only keeps me in the front of his mind if something comes up but he's like oh like he's like this guy's really dedicated to learning you know like he's constantly hitting me up to see you know like what you know to kind of get my perspective on how i would treat something or how i would look at something or even if it's like, even, like I, I have, I've have, I have mentors that you know that that when I was negotiating contracts, I've never negotiated a contract in professional sports before. I don't know how it works. I don't, you know, I'm kind of learning like how to how to use leverage and things like that. And I'm calling these guys up like, "Hey, Team A has this, Team B has this. What do I do?" Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, Team A is offering me X, Y, and Z. Is this good? like, do you think this is good for somebody that's new? Should I take this? Should I ask for more? Should I like what should I do? And in every case that I could think of, they've all been like people that I can go to and trust with information like that and help me make the best decision.
0: Awesome. I think those are all like really good pieces of advice to kind of look for when you're looking for a mentor. Um so now that you've been with the jazz for a couple of years now, do you have any um, favorite memories or anything that sticks out? Um, about your time with with the Jazz so far? Man,
1: I wish I could tell some of these stories. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but just like, you know, it's it's easy the first half of the season, you know, from like October to November. You know, everybody's still kind of fresh. You know, like everybody got fresh legs. Everybody's high energy. But come February, right after the All-Star break, and you hit that wall, and you're like, whoa. And you just like, it, like like you're just struggling to wake up in the morning sometimes, you know, you got to travel, you got a game eight o'clock after the game, you got to fly to the next city, play that game, travel again. And it's like, I would say like one of like, it, it's probably like just like a, a, a collection of memories, just like being able to like, after like a 13, 14 day road trip by like day nine, we're all kind of just like, you know after we're done with treatments we can just like hang out in the training room and just like you know just like not talk about work just like talk about life like i've gotten a lot of these guys to start talking about the stock market i know they're tired of hearing about bitcoin from me but like you know, <laughs> like you know just kind of like just kind of like actually taking the time to breathe and like be human and you know whether it's like going out to dinner or you know going out for drinks or just like being on those long road trips getting sick, it's tired of seeing everybody's face every single day and then just being able to have like a couple hours to where whether whether it's you by yourself or you decide to go out with the staff and just kind of kind of decompress and like like those are some of the best memories just being able to just chill in the midst of all the chaos you know
0: right um i think you know kind of that's what everyone wants to get into sports for is those types of relationships yeah, um last question before we get you out of here jamal um you've given a lot of great advice about um lots of different things especially mentoring yeah. but do you have any advice for anybody that wants to get into um higher level sports whether it's collegiate pro level sports or if they want to you know work in like high level sports in an outpatient clinic what advice would you give to those types of uh you know students or therapists Yeah
1: um that's tough I say probably probably one of the biggest things and 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 I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier and I said that I, I had to send out hard copies of my resume and cover letter. And like, like I did that three different times for every team. And it can be super, super discouraging to do all that work. Like I, ha- I had a team of friends to where I took 20 teams, you know, one of my other friends took 20 teams and they were editing <laughs> like the, like the heading for my cover letter. So like putting the right address, putting the right, and then double checking everything to make sure I didn't get the name wrong um but even when you do that like a lot of times like these uh like these directories don't like they don't always update so you so you might be sending a resume or cover letter to somebody that's not even there anymore and you know sometimes that matters sometimes it doesn't but it can be super super discouraging to like go through all of that and then like not hear anything like you know or like to hear something but like oh sorry we don't have any position for you right now but we're going to keep your you know like your information on file like that's how it felt when I was like when I was younger and I would like apply to jobs I remember like I always wanted to work at Dunkin Donuts for, in high school for whatever reason I don't know why but like <laughs>
0: like whenever I would
1: apply I would get that email saying like hey unfortunately like your 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 qualifications don't meet or whatever you know but we'll keep your stuff on file for later and then you will never hear back from them and it was just like man like I, I thought for sure I was gonna get it but it can be super discouraging to not hear anything back and I'd say to those people like you have to be persistent if if that's what you want like you I was told this by one of my professors in undergrad for athletic training. She said to me, "Don't what she said, she said don't give somebody the no. She said don't give yourself the opportunity to say no to yourself. Like let them tell you no, you know. And like and like you telling yourself no is by stopping, you know, sending out the resumes, you know, not reaching out to people to to get on the phone calls or not going to conferences to meet these people um like you give yourself zero chance by not doing those things but you know at least you'll feel better about it if you actually tried and then it didn't happen like you try to send your stuff out you try to you know to to find the right email you tried to find the right the right heading to send this letter to the right address and you try to get it done because at at the end of the day all you can do is do your best and, and and then everything else is up to the universe timing and luck like for real
0: yeah I think that's that's great advice and it I mean you're kind of like a prime example of that you know i I honestly was on LinkedIn yeah. and researching every every professional soccer basketball football team and looking up who their their head athletic trainer was who their PT was and luckily I found hey, you yeah. um and you've you've been a you've been a great like source of information and I appreciate it and I think everyone that's listening will be able to take something from your journey and from your experiences. So I really really appreciate that, nah,
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. Like I always love these opportunities, you know. And I and I think that's a big part of why I, you know, like to take time to do things like this because because I know what it felt like to reach out to somebody and for them to like not say anything. You know, like it 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 like it it doesn't And I get it. Like I get it like these guys are busy, like they have a lot going on, but it either way like we're all human. Like it doesn't feel good to like not hear anything from somebody that you're trying to like be where they're at. So, you know, whenever I can, I always try my best, even if it's like a month down the line, like, I, like I'll always make a note to get back to everybody as, as fast as I can when it comes to this stuff, because I because I know what it did for me when somebody took the time to speak to me and I try to make that available to anybody else that gets in touch with me, so.
0: Yeah. Again, thank you so much, Jamal. Um, before we get you out of here, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Any social media or anything like that?
1: Nah. If you want to, like, I'm, I mean, if if, if you want to share like my uh, email address with people if they want to reach out to me, um, it's going to be just uh, Jamal Court at utahjazz.com. So J-A-M-A-L dot com. So J A M A L dot C O R T at utahjazz.com. dot com. I'm only 31, but I don't spend a lot of time on social media. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's perfectly fine i will make sure that if anybody wants to reach out to you they can they can you know make coming uh connection um and with that being said this has been the latest episode of the sports rehab experts podcast
1: thank you man take care
0: huge thank you to jamal court of the utah jazz for coming on and talking about his journey and persistence in getting into professional sports if you liked what you heard on today's podcast or want to hear more from great future guests Please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening.